Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Listening to The Door Report, presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Here at The Door Report, our goal is to become the number one source for Vanderbilt sports news and entertainment. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, head over to our YouTube channel and subscribe as well. Without further ado, here is a new episode. Alongside Will Byram, here's your host, Billy Derrick. Commodore fans, and welcome back into another episode of The Door Report. This is episode 30 on a beautiful Thursday evening here in Nashville, Tennessee. The date is June 4th, and we are, as always, sponsored by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Email Jimmy Alaco at jimmyalaco at comcast.net. They're located right here in Nashville, 615-356-0303. Alaco Hardwood Flooring, perfect floors, whatever your style. I am all joined by my uh, co-host Will Byram settling in for another podcast on a great day today here Will. Yeah uh, we just had a great conversation with uh, Simon Gibbs coming up later in the podcast and uh, not a ton of news but there's a little bit to get into and 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 break it down for Commodore Nation to listen to. Yeah we will find some news even when there's no news literally nothing to talk about uh, we will find, you know, we'll find time to, to entertain Commodore fans. And like you mentioned, there's not a ton to talk about, but we will be joined by, uh, we, are, we already talked to Simon, but we will show that interview uh, and, and later in the podcast. He is the sports editor at the Vanderbilt Hustler. He uh, will join the podcast a little bit later. We're going to kind of dive into the state of Vanderbilt athletics, kind of a state of the union address with the Commodores under new AD Candace Lee. Don't forget, follow us on Twitter. That's at door underscore report on Instagram, door.report. Give us a like on Facebook. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. And this new podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. It's now time for the breaking news presented by the Recycling Dudes. Well, you may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they're brothers, Graydon and Chapman, and their dad, Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter. Living in West Mead, the Recycling Dudes recognized a need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup. They have a variety of service levels to fit every need and every budget, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at RecyclingDudes.com. All right, well, let's get it rolling with the breaking news. Taco Wright, he is committed to Vanderbilt. And Taco Tuesday. That, <laughs> yes, sir. If you recognize that last name, Mike uh, is his older brother. He is in the class of 2020, a talented quarterback who decommitted from UCF. James Dabrowski, blogger from the Door Report, had the story. Taco is the brother of 2020 commit Mike Wright, as I mentioned. Uh, he played for – he still plays for Woodward Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, Again, not the best ranking. Uh, we'll talk about Ezra McAllister a little bit later, Will. Both these guys, not the highest rated recruits, but but we both see some upside. He's 115th uh, in his position, 107th in Georgia, all according to 24-7 sports. He did choose Vanderbilt over schools like Maryland, UCF, Cincinnati, East Carolina, among others. So, again, this is a solid get for the Commodores. And, Again, these these Wright brothers are, you know, they're bringing some some new swagger to Vanderbilt that that you know Coach Mason loves. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm, so I know me and you are in agreement. We love that kind of energy. Um, seeing especially uh-huh. those Instagram lives they had going, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I watched that. that uh, so awesome. Yeah, it was. I watched that, uh, commitment video of him doing the, the back flip or the front flip or whatever it was into him dancing. Yep. And I was a little confused. I, I mean, it was a little <laughs> over the top, but then, you know, I started digging into him and his brother a little more and, and watched those Instagram lives. And I think those guys just have, some infectious, That's who they, yeah, are. they just have some infectious fun personalities and they're going to be yeah. an absolute blast to, to keep track of over the next few years no doubt and as i mentioned whenever you get uh, a couple a set of brothers at vanderbilt that's good news because you know you got the odangbo mm-hmm. brothers and uh, you know jackson tolk had a great story kind of detailing um you know uh the the, bro- the sets of brothers at, at vanderbilt you know on their team and besides playing football uh taco uh, he runs track in the spring where he posted an 11.76 100-meter dash. Um, not sure if that's considered fast. I'm sure it is <laughs> for, for track people out there. Uh, and a 22-inch .5 personal record for the long jump. Uh, he possesses a great deal of athleticism. This is a guy who's got a lot of speed, not a ton of height, uh, at only 5'11", 180. Uh, but again, he, his, his speed you know, on the track will, will definitely translate to the football field. And, and like you mentioned, Will, earlier, the swagger that they will bring, uh, Mike, especially this year, not only to the quarterback room and, you know, for Taco to the DB room, but to the entire team and the Nashville community, that's the type of confidence Vanderbilt needs. And, and like I said, Coach Mason is going to take all he can get. And, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty entertaining yesterday watching them uh, on Instagram. You know, we posted it on, on, on our Twitter and Instagram. So, again, with, with as dead as the news is right now, uh, the Wright brothers uh, continuing to roll on at Vanderbilt was was definitely a bright spot. We now roll in uh, to Ezra McAllister. He also committed to Vanderbilt. Uh, Braden McPherson, one of our bloggers, wrote a nice piece on our website. He detailed um, the information there. He said McAllister attended Marshall High School up in Marshall, Michigan. He's currently rated 1,556th nationally, 105 at his position, 54th in Michigan, per 24-7 sports. Will, he's a versatile and athletic player. Um, you know, the tape doesn't jump out of the screen at you, but again, with development, this kid, you know, could play a decent role. Yeah, he's uh, listed as an athlete on there. If I had to guess, I would I would assume he's going to probably end up at receiver uh, mm-hmm. listed on the depth chart when he comes in. And, and I'm never going to come on and bash a guy that's coming out of high school no. committing to Vandy. I will say uh, I was a little bit underwhelmed by his highlight tape. And then, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times I'll judge guys a lot less based on their stars and where they're ranked and a lot more by the other offers that they have. And yeah. it, it is a little bit disappointing when, when his top other offers were Buffalo, Dartmouth, and Central Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. But like I said, I'm not going to come on a bash. I hope he comes in and just tears it up. Um, but like, I would assume he's listed at six foot 170. Uh, I'm about mm. six foot 170. I don't think that I'm there you go. go over the middle of middle of the an defense. So yeah, um, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think they want me on there. Um, but I, likely I would say he's going to be a guy that will come in a red shirt, put some weight on in the weight room, because just looking at, at another guy that committed in the same class at receiver was Jack Beck or Betch. Yes, I might be butchering that, but I think it's Beck. Yeah. He, he's about six, three, I believe it was, or six, one, um, two Oh five. So he, he's a lot more built and that's the kind of guy that you could more likely see immediately mm-hmm. come in as a freshman play a role, even if it's not you know, even in that real receiver rotation, but at least a special teams role. So I, w- I would expect him to to come in and redshirt and kind of develop and, and then slowly gain a role in whether it's special teams or, or a rotation at that kind of bottom end of the receiver depth chart. A hundred percent. And, and back, back his, his, his film, unlike McAllister really jumps out mm-hmm. to you. I mean, he, <laughs> I think the first clip was a hurdle over, you know, over uh, uh, like six, two DB, he said, and, you know, those, that's the type of film that really, really jumps out. And, you know, for, for a guy like, like Ezra McAllister and even Taco Wright, Vanderbilt has gotten guys like these, and they've ended up being, uh, you know, developmental guys, two oh, yeah. stars, three stars who uh, may not have lived up to the recruiting hype, but, hey, developed into high-quality SEC players. Um, so, again, this, this happens at Vanderbilt every year. You know, yeah. we see guys like this, and – you know, we kind of we like to predict where they might end up. And, you know, these are you know, we, we'll, we'll see. I think Taco probably has a little bit more upside. Um, 
you know, because of the the film probably. But again, you never know. Ezra could be a guy that steps up. Yeah, and, I mean, and Van, takes yeah, Vanderbilt's never role. never going to be the one that's going to be consistently pulling in the four and five star recruits. So it, it's a no, lot more. No. It's a lot more Mason. If Mason had faith in him fitting the system, which is a lot more what you have to look for, you yeah. can't just go into the ESPN 300 and go down and pick out of that list. Like you can't. You're not going to see a ton of Vandy yeah. guys. If you're at Vandy or at uh, Bama or Florida or something like that, you you've got a lot more options like that. But it's a lot more about fitting the system. And if Mason thought he was the right guy, right character, then then I've got faith in that. And right. I guess we'll I guess we'll see in the upcoming years. It's always exciting to follow these recruits yeah. from the beginning to to seeing them on the field in the fall. Yeah, and Coach Mason's a developmental guy uh, at heart. You know, he's not going to take a guy who's a five-star. And, you know, Juwan Williams is a guy that was a four-star. But, uh, you know, they had, they had a very close relationship. And obviously, Juwan did great things. But that just doesn't happen every, every you know, every every day for Vanderbilt. So, again, uh, Taco Wright, the, the younger brother of uh, Mike Wright, it is. His real name is Allen, but we like saying Taco. Taco's a lot more fun than Alan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's going to be a fun – I hope they say Taco uh, from the PA. Oh, yeah. For the PA booth. They better. Um, So, yeah, we got Taco Wright, Ezra McAllister, both committed to Vanderbilt. Uh, One was a couple days ago. Taco was yesterday. So, again, Coach Mason trying to build up his 2021 class. Will we now close out the breaking news segment with a question, as we always do. Today's question is what – will uh jerry stackhouse decide on for his starting five in you know this season it, you know basketball will happen you know we're not uh we're we're, we're on the positive side here we, we believe basketball is going to happen will we both agree on uh on five i'm going to go ahead and list the five point guard scotty pippen jr you know coming in as a sophomore max evans as the two guard as a senior you know senior leader he should you know play big minutes next year the three is DJ Harvey, we both believe. The four, Dylan DeSue, and the five, Cleavon Brown. Now, Will, there's a ton of depth, uh, you know, a lot more depth at least than last year on this team. And for, for Stack, you know, he always likes to talk about the toys that he's playing with. He's got a lot more, you know, in his, in his, uh, in his toy box, you know, this year than he does as last year. That's the starting five. Do what do you think they could do next year? You know, I know we're going to do a lot of analyzing. You got a lot of notes, but in terms of a threshold, what uh, and we talked, we asked Simon about it, but for you, Will, what what do you think their uh, their goals are this year? Well, we we at least didn't go over in the SEC in SEC play this this past season. Yeah. So I think seeing some more SEC wins. I don't know if necessarily an NCAA tournament berth is something that's on the table with this roster, it's still extremely young, a lot of new faces, and we'll detail the movements later, and there are a lot of them for people that haven't been uh, following yep. it too closely. But I think an NIT berth and just being competitive around that, you know, 9, 10 range of the SEC, not not bottom of the barrel, it, it would be a step in really in the right direction and, and getting some more development for the youth um, on that roster because Cleavon is a senior, uh, Max Evans is a senior, but guys like Scottie Pippen, uh, mm-hmm. DJ Harvey, Desu, just another year of development for them. And, and then moving forward, then it's looking to that NCAA tournament bro, yeah. as, as we move forward. I mean, you're not going to take, you know, it's it's baby steps. You, you can't go from 0-19 in the SEC to expecting uh, two seasons that we're going to be a 5-6 seed. you you got to no. be a little, bit, a little more realistic. I would love if that would happen, but got to be a little bit of realistic. That'd be awesome, realistic. yeah. I mean, you 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 mentioned Pippen and uh, and DeSue, their development. That's going to be huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they could develop into, uh, you know, potential, whether it's NBA draft picks or undrafted, you know, guys that go to the G League, I think they both have that potential. I, I really do. I think whether they stay the next two years or Pippen has been, you know, who knows? These guys could be grinding out of their minds and and really hoping to to have a shot at the NBA draft next year. We don't know. Yeah, I think uh, this but, dude is probably the one because he he was actually getting quite a bit of attention as a freshman. He just has to develop, yeah. get get a little yeah. bigger. But Disu is the one with the really interesting skill set at that size, kind of that modern mm-hmm. stretch four that the NBA loves right now. Yeah, a and he's been shooter. he's been he's on the radar for scouts. Mm-hmm. Like he, I, I've seen. I don't know if you've seen some of the tweets, but. You know, the scout, this, a lot of the scouting services, you know, from the NBA and from NBA coaches, they got him on, on their eye. So, you know, he, he's a guy that when you look at, like you said, Will, he, he's like, what is he, 6'8, 6'9? And, and he, yeah. yeah, and he can, he can really shoot the ball. He didn't shoot the ball as well as advertised last year. But when you look at his game, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good to it. I think, I think both look well. I think both these guys are probably smart to to stay at least a couple more years 
Pippen could honestly be a four-year guy. Uh, the Sioux ceiling might be a tad higher. Uh, but again, the, I, I'm excited to see the depth of this group and, and, and where the depth takes them. Because last season, they, they didn't have depth at all. Like we said, they were playing three, even four walk-ons at, at points in, in games. So, you know, for Stackhouse to have this much depth, it's going to be fun. It's going to be intriguing. Uh, again, we will see. He has his detractors. He has those doubters that, that you know, Jeff Goodman. We, we, <laughs> we, we love Jeff, but he, you know, he's, he doesn't like the staff. Obviously, Stackhouse likes his staff. Yes. You know, he wouldn't have those guys on his staff if he didn't like them and if, in, if he didn't believe in them. Uh, but we'll see. You know, again, we can't really talk on the staff because we haven't seen, we've only seen one year of them. Again, a lot of movement in the staff as well. You mentioned the movement on the roster, but, you know, the staff has, has seen a lot of movement as well. Um, so in terms of the lineup, DJ Harvey, I think, is the X factor. Would you agree, Will? Yeah, you've been hearing a lot of things about him uh, coming in. He had to sit out sit out the year, of course, once he transferred from Notre Dame. Um, you've been hearing a lot of things about him just tearing it up in the practice on, on whether it was scout teams, mm-hmm. five-on-five drills. So seeing him, he's going to be the X factor in if we can reach that, what I was referring to earlier, really kind of competing in the SEC, climbing up that ladder to middle of the pack, bottom, middle of the pack, as opposed to kind of bottom. We, we're going to need a go-to scorer. Um, can yeah. Max Evans be that guy? Can DeSue be that guy? Um, but DJ Harvey is the one that for, from everything you've been hearing and we've been hearing, yeah. that that's the guy that's going to be that, like you said, the X factor, that's going to be the determinant um, of if they can take that next step forward, which then leads to the next step forward. No doubt. And, you know, just looking at him, he looks to be that guy that they, that they rely on. And, and they're not going to have a guy like Neesmith who they can literally give it to and he can get him a bucket. Uh, that's, that's what they're not going to have. And that will hurt, you know, that's going to hurt them. But, we talked with Simon Gibbs and, you know, he loves the fact that that uh, Cleavon Brown is back. And I don't know anyone who doesn't. I mean, that is just a humongous uh, addition for, for Van. And, but it's, you know, he's he's staying and, and he's going to be he's he's going to be one of Stackhouse's, you know, reliable guys where you could probably get it to him in the paint. He'll find a way to get a bucket. He'll rebound. He'll play defense. And in the SEC, a post player that can play defense. Uh, so yeah, looking at looking at the lineup. That's that's what it is. We got Pippen at the point, Max Evans at the two, at the three, DJ Harvey. The four is Dylan DeSue, and the five is Cleavon Brown. That's our basketball insights. Uh, got a couple of commits, Taco Wright and Ezra McAllister. And there we have it. We just answered the question of the day. Not really the day, but the question of the pod. I guess you could say he will be Vanderbilt starting five. There you have it. Coming up, we will answer... The trivia question proposed by Jackson Tolk. Will, uh, the trivia question is, uh, you know, you, you weren't there to hear it, but here it is. What, when did Vanderbilt football begin utilizing the star V on their helmets? We won't answer it now. I'm going to give us a little time to think, and we'll come back and answer the trivia question. Right after the trivia question, we will be joined by Simon Gibbs, the sports editor at the Vandy Hustler and, uh, Will, we had a great conversation with Simon. He, you know, he's a guy who, who has a bright future. He's reported well. And, uh, you know, he, he provided a little bit of comedy, too. Yeah, he, he was a, an extremely fun co- guy to have a conversation with. And, and he had a lot of good insights and, and an insight as a student at Vanderbilt uh, with the upcoming term and, and kind of how everything mm-hmm. going to work out with them, with athletes being allowed back on campus June 8th. He, he had some good insights from a little bit different perspective than we have since he is since he is on top of being the sports editor for the Vanderbilt Hustler, um, a student at that university as well. No doubt. And, and, you know, to be able to get that perspective is is huge, you know, for all the listeners here on the door report. Coming up next is Simon Gibbs, the sports editor at the Vanderbilt Hustler here on the door report. All right, folks, who's ready for some trivia? It's now time to check in with our very own Door Report blogger, Jackson Tolk. And Jackson, fire away with the very first trivia question here of our series. It's taken us 30 episodes to get to it, but but fire away. Of course, man. We're excited about this new segment. Today's trivia question is, in what year did Vanderbilt football initially begin using the iconic Star V logo on their helmets? Interesting. Okay, we will answer this question at the end of the podcast, and we will welcome you back in to the podcast to reveal the answer, Jackson. Can you repeat the question one more time? Yes, sir. 
The trivia question for today is, in what year did Vanderbilt football initially begin using the iconic Star V logo on their helmets? The iconic Star V logo. When did that begin being utilized on Vanderbilt helmets? That is the question. Will and I will brainstorm, and we will get right back with you later in the podcast. Jackson, thanks so much. Anytime. All right, it is now time to today's question that was proposed by Jackson Tolk, our good buddy. Jackson, before Will and I provide our answers to the question, will you repeat it one more time? Yes, sir. Today's trivia question is, in what year did Vanderbilt football initially begin using the iconic Star V logo on their helmets? All right, Will, you go first. All right, I'll go first. So I know... I know it's got to be pre-2000. I'm going to say 1996, shot in the dark. Okay, don't don't give us the, the correct one yet, Jackson. So, Will said 1996. I'm going to say 2002. Okay. Okay, both good guesses. <laughs> <laughs> would, you, uh, would you like me to reveal the answer at this point? Yes. Okay. The answer is actually... 1969 okay what yeah i was surprised to hear that are we talking too. the modern star v or are we are we talking the old the old school star v here well um i'd have to look it up but according to the research that i've done i've, I've got a little blurb that i'll read here this was done uh this is written by brad crawford over at saturday down south and he says in 1969 the commodores first placed their recognizable Star V logo on gold helmets, a look that has stood the test of time. There have been years where Vanderbilt strayed away from the Star V, including the majority of the mm. 1990s, but it returned in 2002 for good. So you guys were close there on the return. I, I knew that's what it, okay. I knew that's what they strayed away from. Yeah, we'll, because... we'll have to tweet out a picture. I actually just pulled up a picture of the 1969 helmets. We'll have to pull out a picture of the old school logo. I think they should, they yeah. should bring out some throwbacks because yes. they're pretty nice. They they have to because I, I I mean that was a really good question yeah what, hell of a first trivia question uh, from Jackson there but had to start uh, off hot yeah, <laughs> yeah really cooking some stuff up but I thought I think I was on the same track as you will because I think the cursive that was in the eighties and nineties yep. correct yeah so they went with the cursive Vandy in the eighties nineties like I said straight away from it um, but yeah great uh, great question there. Jackson uh, and and again don't don't uh, don't reveal next week's because uh, again we can't be studying it uh, but thanks as always uh, for the trivia and there you have it uh, none of us neither yeah, of us are even, even close, close <laughs> to the to the answer uh, but uh, you know that that was a tough first first question so Jackson is not shying away from the tough questions uh, but there you have it that's the first trivia question here it took us thirty episodes to get to it uh, but but we have it now thank you so much boys. Hey, of course. All right, welcome back into the Door Report. Simon Gibbs, sports editor at the Vanderbilt Hustler, is our guest now. He will graduate with a degree from Vanderbilt University next year, and he's been doing a tremendous job uh, covering Commodore Athletics there uh, with the Hustler. Simon, thanks for taking the time, man. Thanks for so much for having me. Oh, good. Yep. I want to I want to start, Simon. I was looking at your Twitter bio, and it says uh, you'll be working at ESPN pretty soon. Does, does this mean you're the next Skip Bayless? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that. Uh, the internship was actually supposed to start a couple days ago, but, you know, with the COVID outbreak, it's been moved virtual and shortened. So um, oh, it'll be starting in a month, but uh, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> okay hey, that that could be good news for you and you know for, for, the, for, for your for your maybe your twitter mentions um i want to i want to talk obviously about uh candace lee being promoted and uh you know i i kind of talked about on twitter how this is our state of the union here with you know probably uh the best guest we could have you know we brought you on to do that and she's obviously now the permanent ad where do you see athletics at vanderbilt going in the next few years look i mean Athletics at Vanderbilt, um, the growth, uh, the improvement of Vanderbilt athletics is, is obviously going to be a slow process. Uh, and I know that hurts a lot of people to hear, but change is not made overnight. Um, you know, they cannot simply flip a switch and get all the fundraising they need and all the tools in place to build new stadiums. That being said, 
no change is going to happen if you don't have the right person at the helm. Um, and I believe that Candace Story Lee is the right person at the helm um, because, frankly, she has the experience that no other candidate has in that not only has she been at this athletics department for just around 20 years, and so she knows the inner workings of both the athletics department and, I would hope at this point, she knows very well the inner workings of the university and its administration, but she also, a former student-athlete herself and a product of the environment that she now works in, um, I think can provide a very interesting perspective. Um, and, you know, in my Q&A with her for The Hustler, she did acknowledge things that, you know, sometimes athletic directors or administration may not be quick to acknowledge. You know, she acknowledged um, right off the bat that she believes that there is room for improvement in the facilities. She acknowledged right off the bat that changes need to be made. But again, I think this is going to be a slow process. I think we're going to hear some strides, some serious strides within the next calendar year in that they're going to release the master's facilities plan, which hopefully addresses all the needs from the football stadium to the gym, et cetera. Um, but again, these, these are going to be slow projects. And I think the, the COVID outbreak may only make that slower because her priority at the moment can't be you know future growth it can't be um um future stadium renovations or i guess it could be but like most people right now her priorities are keeping the student athletes safe and, and devising a plan for their return and ensuring that you know vanderbilt has the tools to compete this year um and those tools obviously start with with the health of their student athletes because without without the health and safety of the student athletes they won't be able to I love how you mentioned uh, the fact that she was a student athlete herself at Vanderbilt, and that carries weight. That carries weight, um, you know, with her being the athletic director and and having that experience. That's what Malcolm Turner did not have. Um, I'm not sure how many times he had been in the Nashville area and how familiar he was with Vanderbilt. Uh, but Turner, obvious. I, we're, Will and I were talking last podcast about how you know what is his relationship like with Coach Stackhouse now? Has that has that been ruined? And Coach Stackhouse obviously has his detractors. He has his doubters, uh, you know, with this program. I'm going to kind of switch gears to basketball now, Simon. Do you believe Coach Stack has what it takes to bring Vanderbilt back to NCAA tournament appearances? Uh, I, I Certainly. I think, you know, we haven't seen much from Coach Stackhouse because it's only been a season. But that's not to say we, we haven't seen enough. We certainly saw enough improvement and enough growth in their first season that I do think – they have what it takes to make the tournament. And, and again, I don't think this is going to be an immediate thing. I don't necessarily see them making the tournament next year. But what Stackhouse did with a roster full of walk-ons mm-hmm. and no Aaron E. Smith was nothing short of impressive. I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but Stackhouse actually received one, and I know it's not a lot, but one vote for SEC yes. here this past year. Yep. And it was from none other than the Tennessee Vols beat reporter at writer and that was because he acknowledged that Stackhouse took you know Stackhouse really rolled with the punches and his his coaching was very impressive um, down the stretch especially as the Commodores started to pull pull away with some close victories in games that frankly no one would have guessed they had a shot in so we saw enough with him that I believe he has what it takes to be back to the tournament um, in the future um, and I think the only the only but the only doubt would be whether or not he stays. However, I think um, that's sort of just a general concern of many fans from what I've seen. And he sort of put those concerns to rest um, following the departure of Malcolm Turner. He actually, he said something along the lines of, of you know, uh, it's business as usual back, back, uh, back around the time. He basically said that that's not going to impact, you know, you know, what he does for Vanderbilt Athletics now. It's not going to impact his stance on Vanderbilt Athletics. And he seemed very content with Candace Story Lee at the helm. So I I am reassured to hear that. And I I do hope that, you know, Stackhouse continues to build the program that he laid down the foundations for in year one. Yeah. So me and Billy discussed this earlier in the podcast there. We were kind of going through a lot of the movement and new faces that we'll be seeing on the hardwood this, this upcoming season. What's kind of one player, if you have one in mind, or, or multiple players that you can kind of see that are flying a little bit under the radar with the transfers that we've had that you think might have a significant impact this upcoming season? Well, um, I wouldn't say this is necessarily flying under the radar because we all know who he is. We all know how good he played in the limited time we saw him last year. But, you know, all the talk about Romello White and what ended up not happening um, and all the talk about the incoming freshmen, the transfers, et cetera, we sort of lost 
or, or overlook the fact that Cleavon Brown is returning. Mm-hmm. Yep. That can be overstated. That is just massive. Cleavon Brown showed in a few games what we didn't see out of him in three years. It was really impressive. His offensive game was very well-rounded. And to have depth at the big man position will also see Quinton Melora Brown getting some minutes this season. Um, I, I think it's important that for once, the Commodores, or for once in the past few years, it seems like the Commodores finally have some depth at the big man position, um, which, you know, would also alleviate some of the pressure that was on Educate down the stretch last year. Um, but I do think Cleveland Brown is really like the, the key piece there, and, and he's been maybe overlooked just a tad because of the fact that, you know, he was in fact here last year. We just weren't sure if he'd return. Um, and then uh, I also think um, DJ Harvey is going to be probably the go-to scorer next year. Um, from what I've heard, he's, he's quite a talent, and he played for a very talented Notre Dame team before coming to Vanderbilt. So I'm excited to see how Harvey has improved in his off year, and I'm excited to see him sort of have some freedom in the offense. You mentioned uh, Harvey, obviously, and Cleavon Brown, two guys that, you know, everyone knows will will need to have, you know, big-time production this year if the Commodores, you know, want to reach their goals. And, and obviously, you're not Jerry Stackhouse. You know, he, he, he has his own goals, obviously, for the team. But if you were Coach Stackhouse, what would you set, set before this season as a goal for your team to reach, uh, you know, whether that's the NCAA tournament, whether that's a higher seed in the SEC tournament, well, what would be that goal for you? Um, that's tough because if I were a coach, of course I would want to set the highest, the highest goal possible. But I think, um, a goal that barring injuries and barring significant setbacks that I can't think of at the moment, I, I, I think if this team with the tools they have in place can go 500 in the SEC, and I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but going 500 in the SEC does mean having a lot of quality wins. The SEC mm-hmm. may not be what it was two years ago but the sec is still a legitimate conference and in doing so you know going 500 in the sec shows that you have the wherewithal to beat a lot of these teams in the conference and in turn it would it would grant the commodores a better seed in the sec tournament and again better seed in the sec tournament and the ability to beat those teams who knows where it takes you from there you know it's sort of the hottest team is is who advances in, in those late season tournaments um but again i think um, a goal that is is is, is slightly more realistic than the NCAA tournament in his second season would be would be 500 in the SEC and, and frankly if he if he uh, attained that goal if he went 500 in the SEC this upcoming season I would be extremely impressed with with the turnaround. Um, that said, I don't think you know uh, again a lot can happen between now and then um, injuries what have you and I, I think it will be um, a, a tough challenge for Stackhouse and the rest of the staff. Um, but I do think that's that's a possibility for them. Well, you're not Coach Mason either, but that would pr- definitely be a great possibility for, for the football team as well. <laughs> Switching gears over to to the gridiron, obviously last season was tough. Uh, everyone in Commodore yeah. Nation was kind of sitting there, you know, kind of wondering how is this happening, what's going on, what's wrong with our offense that we thought was supposed to be led by this big three. How does Coach Mason bounce back from his most turbulent season yet, Simon? That's, that's super tough, but I think um, as most fans and most reporters will point out, it, it starts on their center. Um, mm-hmm. Vanderbilt never had anything close to consistency at the quarterback position last season. That was detrimental. If they can't figure out a quarterback with four talented arms in the room this year, I don't know what it'll take to succeed, but again, I think it's 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 no secret that they need to figure out the quarterback position in order to have any sort of competence, any sort of consistency um, on the offensive side of the ball. But at the same time, that provides an almost unfair challenge for Derek Mason, who did not get any of the spring practice that he normally gets. And, you know, you'd have to guess that a few months through practice, by now they normally have some sort of idea of who the starter is or who the favorite is. I don't know if they really have any of that right now. So it's, it's, it's an extremely tough challenge for him to figure that out um, right now. Uh, but uh, again, I think bouncing back is going to be all about um, figuring out the best option under center. And unfortunately, because um, I know Commodore fans have, have, have gone through a whole lot of this, especially last year, I don't think it's going to be, you know, pick one guy and roll with him. I do think multiple guys are going to get a chance. And I know, 
Um, a lot of people are, are, are not too fond of seeing three, four quarterbacks at once in a season. But again, it's all about finding consistency. So I think if they all get their shot and, you know, one quarterback shines, then it's clear who the starter should be moving forward. So I think that should be at least their first priority. And, and, and Coach Fitch has his work cut out for it in there. Yeah, we discussed that, the uh, who we who if we had to put our money on someone who would be the starting quarterback in the upcoming fall. And we, we kind of said the same thing about multiple guys getting reps. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, you mentioned the lack of, you know, spring practice and evaluation, which is a huge deal, especially when you're dealing with completely new quarterbacks on campus. But if you had to put money on one right now, that would be the guy that saw the most starts, most snaps this upcoming season. Who would that be, Simon? Um, I think knowing knowing um, Derek Mason's decision, you know, decision making here and, and the way he does tend to lean on experience and you know, also mixing in a little bit of what I've heard um, from from um, some sources close to the team. I think as of now, I would say that Danny Clark would be the starter day from day one. Um, and again, that's not to say the other guys won't get snaps, but um, Mike Wright and Ken Seals are extremely talented guys that frankly have never faced a college defense. They've never been behind a college offensive line, and that's going to take some adjustment. And that's not to say they can't be the quarterbacks moving forward. They certainly could. Um, but from what I'm hearing, Danny Clark is the favorite right now. Um, and again, take that lightly because they haven't even started practicing yet. Um, but again, uh, I think the little bit of experience he had, not a lot, but, but it's something, you know, having practiced with Kentucky and having, having seen extremely limited playing time there and then his experiences playing in junior college um, is certainly more than, than what Wright and Seals um, uh, can say for themselves. And, you know, I, I haven't heard much about Jeremy Musa. Um, I, I, I mean, frankly, he has the same sort of experience that Danny Clark has. Um, but I'm just, from what I'm told, um, Danny Clark seems like the favorite, at least right now. Yeah, that's that's kind of similar to what, what we had actually discussed, almost, almost uh -huh. to the T. Um, so a little bit more on Coach Mason. So uh, I would I would say, regardless of, of what side you fall on, his, his seat is a little bit hot. Um, but how exactly hot is his seat and how much of how in jeopardy do you think his job really is? And what, what, ha, what has to happen this upcoming season? So at the end of the year, he's still the coach for the Commodores um, into the next season. Look, I think if he, if, if he wants to be coach, uh, let me rephrase. I think for fans to feel, feel, I'm excited to feel that same sort of enthusiasm with him being the head coach going into the following season. I really don't think many fans would be happy with, with anything short of a, of um, a, a bowl berth. Um, that said, you know, the fans don't make the decisions. Mm -hmm. the does. And frankly, as much as I think, um, as much as one would think that after the past couple seasons that, you know, maybe on the hot seat, I, I really, I really don't think he is. Um, and I say that, for a few reasons, um, they did just, you know, let him hire a few new coordinators this year. And, you know, you typically don't do that for someone who's on the verge of getting fired. They just read their staff because, you know, they trust Eric Mason is the man to leave that staff. But also Mason, a couple of years ago, signed a uh, contract extension, which, if I'm not mistaken, carries him through not just this season, but the following season. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they would fire him with one year left on his contract. I think they would at least let that final year play out before making a decision. So of course a mediocre season this year could have, could have, uh, could have Mason pay the price following the, the next season. But I really don't think his seat is as hot as it, as it could be. And plus it's never cheap to buy out these contracts. And in a time where athletics departments may, might be struggling to, to, to generate the same revenue they once did, I just don't know if I see it happening this year. And plus, we all know that, that Mason has a lot to prove this year. So if he pulls off a couple significant wins, if he shows, you know, fans that and shows the athletic department that, you know, he could develop these quarterbacks and he could, he could create a system generated to these talented arms, uh, I don't know. I, I think his seat might not be that hot. And that's not to say that, you know, come week six, a lot of people might be calling for that because as we've seen in the past few years, that's sort of, you know, that's sort of what happens every year. Um, everyone <laughs> seems to seems to generate their opinions by week five or six, but I don't think his seat is as hot as people think. Yeah. We, we were kind of, me and Billy were discussing this earlier and I said, there's the old, old saying that goes, a coach walks into his office and there's three envelopes sitting on the desk. 
Uh, the first envelope is blame the pre when something goes bad, he opens up each envelope and the first envelope is blame the previous coach slash staff. Uh, the second envelope he opens up is blame your staff. And the third envelope is, well, you need to get the next three envelopes ready. So he, he's gotten a few, <laughs> he's gotten a few chances. Um, I think he's gotten maybe six or nine envelopes thus far. Um, but, but that's an interesting perspective with the contract. And I, and I think that that contract extension he signed is, is a lot of what led to him being retained even this upcoming year. Um, but I think Billy's, Billy's yeah. going to be switching gears here real quick. Yeah. And it, I think, Simon, I, I love the fact that you, you talk about this season for football. And, and we, Will and I have been trying that too. This season, it's going to happen. Do you think – it's not do you think it's going to happen. It will happen. Do you think it's going to start on time? Simon, you there? Well, it looks Sorry, like. Sorry, I just, I just asked. <laughs> oh no, you're good. You're good. We don't I want to lose you. Is going to happen on time? Um, yes, I think the season's going to happen on time. Do I say uh, uh, yes? Right now, I would say yes. Although I, my opinion, sort of, uh, I'm a little cautious in saying yes. But do I think it's going to look anything like what we've seen in college football thus far? Absolutely not. Um, I don't think. I don't think it would be wise to fill stadiums. Um, and that's just my, my honest opinion. Um, not only that, I don't know when they're going to start having full capacity practices because we know the earliest they could have team workouts are, are June 8th this year in the SEC, but mm -hmm. that doesn't say anything about practices. So we don't know when they're going to, and I don't know if you two heard this, but um, Alabama, Alabama's uh, rivals affiliate website, uh, Bama Insider reported this morning that, uh, sources close to the team say Alabama football already has at least five players test positive for the virus. Oh, no. I mean, these are these are issues that we we haven't faced yet. You know, we want college athletics to return, but what happens if players get diagnosed? How do they handle that? I don't know, and that's for them to figure out. But assuming they can handle this well, I think best case scenario is is you know fifty percent capacity, and I know that's that's a bit pessimistic to some, but. I just don't see school, a school like Vanderbilt that, that is is going to uh, exercise caution. Uh, I don't see them letting you know forty thousand fans pack into the stadium, um, or when you know, say Georgia comes to town or whoever SEC team is coming into town that weekend. So I think it'll happen on time as of now. I don't think it'll look normal, and I don't think there'll be hundred percent of fans allowed. Into yeah. And, and another thing, kind of a comment on that of bringing them back onto campus. I haven't understood the, the pushback on bringing them back onto campus. I mean, here in the, in Tennessee, Nashville area, I mean, gyms, public gyms are open. So what you have are these guys that are either training at their high school facilities or training at workout anytime or, or planet fitness or, or whatever gym is open around. So I've never understood the pushback of having them in a more controlled university environment. Uh, better cleanliness standards, as opposed to these guys are just going out and they're working out on their own. Um, so that that pushback has never really made a lot of sense as far as just bringing them back. I'm not relating that to fans or anything. Um, but just just a quick comment on this before we move into baseball. But so you were talking about fans filling the stadium. There have been statements from athletic departments like Ohio State saying that they do see the possibility of having limited capacity. Could you see something where stadiums are at 20% capacity or, or something of that nature in the upcoming season? Um, I'll say two things. One, I think, um, absolutely. I think that's, that's likely maybe not the 20%. I think hopefully it can work their way up to 50%, but I think limited capacity is certainly, um, uh, what we're, what we're probably going to be looking at this upcoming season. I mean, there are just too many unanswered questions for them to allow hundred percent of fans. I mean, think about the last time you went to a Vanderbilt game and think about something as simple as going to the back. Yeah. I mean, how many people <laughs> on that line, shoulder to shoulder, like you, you, those sorts of crowding need to be, need to be kept tame. And I think the only way to do that is limiting fans in attendance. Another thing I will say is on the topic of, what is you know what you mentioned just now the why are athletes not allowed back on campus why are they not allowed to work out or why has Vanderbilt made a decision on that and what I will say is from the perspective of a Vanderbilt student and myself every other SEC school that has made a decision or at least a public decision Vanderbilt you know there are reports um, of Vanderbilt's decisions mm -hmm. so far every other school that has made a public decision has already informed their students 
of what the fall is going to look like, of what the plan for returning to campus in August is going to look like. Now, myself, again, I'm a Vanderbilt student. What does that say about Vanderbilt if they tell their student athletes that they can come back to campus on June 8th, but I have no idea if I'm invited in August? Right. Yeah, and Vanderbilt's yeah, even a little bit different. So I do think that until until they sort of give some sort of word, any any sort of indication on the fall, then they'll quickly be able to move forward mm-hmm. with athletics. And I do think their plan is to have them come back on June 8th. It's just sort of like they have a lot of students who have been left in the dark. And, of course, they don't want to make it seem like they're only ten, tending to the students. Yeah, and Vanderbilt's going to be even a little bit of a different case because they're the only private university. They have a lot more out-of-state, out-of-country students uh, than yeah. Tennessee or Florida, for example, that are people that are generally – that student population are within like a three hour radius. So it's a, it's a little bit more of a logistical issue. And and the number of students that reside on campus on, in the residence halls at Vanderbilt is a much higher percentage as well than these other universities. But Billy, you you had one more question or or kind of pivoting over. Yes. Yeah. We're going to pivot here to baseball. We talked a lot about football. Uh, We, you know, we checked off basketball Uh, we're going to finish it with baseball, Simon. Obviously, season was cut dramatically short, and this, this, this was supposed to be, a lot of people thought, another Omaha team for the Commodores, led by an extremely talented pitching staff. Despite a few transfers, Simon, they still appear to be loaded next season. But before we talk kind of about next season, how, how much of a hit do you think that was to these guys? Obviously, with Vanderbilt, it's a little bit different. They're perennial national title contenders, so it had to hurt. I, I think it's a huge hit. Um, I mean, taking away the season is, is something that, you know, these guys won't get back. And I understand that the NCAA granted them an extra year of eligibility, but, I mean, honestly, that doesn't give that year back of your life. You know, it's not the same. Um, so it, it's undoubtedly a huge hit, but I don't think it's nearly as big a hit as the changes made to the MLB draft. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, for one, think that, the changes made to the MLB draft and also the changes made to minor league systems or the upcoming impending changes made to minor league systems are going to be extremely, are are going to damage college baseball um, or at least change it as we know it. I do think Vanderbilt is going to have the talent to succeed next year once again, but as we see this year more than ever, there are going to be very few players that out of high school actually take their contracts because of the shortened draft and the, the maximum signing bonus. Mm-hmm. So that means more guys are going to want to go to college. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you normally have a lot of juniors that end up declaring for the draft and going to the MLB or going to the minor leagues. Um, you know, if they don't get their draft position and they don't get the signing bonus they want, they're going to come back too. And before you know it, you're going to have absolutely loaded rosters. I mean, 35 to 50 guys that can actually play, that can be starters at most schools in the country, and yet you still only have 11.7 scholarships to split evenly across the team. I mean, this is a tough time for college baseball, and I do think it'll get over that hump. But I I think, you know, in the next maybe year or two, we're going to see some overcrowded college baseball programs followed by a lot of kids transferring to junior college where they might get more playing time and not have to, you know, pay the same amount of money they'd pay to attend a university like Vanderbilt. And that's fortunate for, for many different colleges. It's unfortunate for, for a select few. Like you mentioned, uh, the junior colleges, some players that might you know want to take a look at Vanderbilt or take a look at maybe some other smaller schools locally. I had a friend that was uh, at Columbia State. He was trying to look in to get in Trevecca, maybe even MTSU, but their, their rosters were packed. So Again, yeah. that, that's that's unfortunate for them, but uh, you know Vanderbilt is looking forward to, to next season. But I'm gonna look forward to the draft here, Simon. Where do you think the Vanderbilt the Vanderbilt boys like Austin Martin and and you know even some other guys might may fall in the draft? Um, I think, in my honest opinion, um, if I were picking first overall, I would certainly take Austin Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know what MLB scouts are saying about him at the time. But I don't think it's common for you to see not just – I mean, of course, we could talk all day about his talent, about his hitting, about how he's an all-around hitter. And we haven't seen you know, something like like his caliber player come out of Vanderbilt since maybe even Dansby Swanson. Um, we could also talk about his, his extreme versatility, which is just so rare. I mean, you could, it seems like you could just place the guy anywhere on the field and he'd be okay with it. He would, you know, he would play – up to par for 
for that level. And and I think that's special. And I think when you're talking about drafting power and Torkelson out of out of uh, Arizona State, or you're talking about taking Martin, there's just far more upside for a guy who has a very very large set of skills as opposed to Torkelson, who who's really just a power hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to see you know Oscar Martin go first overall. I think there are a number of other players that could get picked. I see Mason Hickman going relatively high. But honestly, I think the the next Vanderbilt affiliated player to be to, to go off that board, I do think is going to be Robert Hassel. Um, there would be years where, you know, maybe it would be a decision or more of a decision for him to come back to school. Um, we saw that similar sort of thing happen with both Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, where they were projected to be high draft picks and they ended up taking mm-hmm. the, the spot on the Vanderbilt team instead. But it just seems so uncertain moving forward. And, and I mean, I don't know if you saw Hassel's stats from this mm-hmm. past year. Oh, ridiculous. Just, yeah, I mean, he played for the U.S. national team and, and put up 514, 548, 886 <laughs> in batting average, on-base plugging percentage. I mean, He's a pro. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think he really needs to waste his time. Of course, I would love to see him come to Vanderbilt. I, I think he's going to be the next guy that's affiliated to Vanderbilt to, to mm-hmm. go off that board. And I believe he would be the first – High school player out of Tennessee drafted in the first rounds oh. in 1986. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. uh, Simon, awesome. it's been an absolutely incredible conversation. Loved having you on here. Um, before we let you go, um, let us, let the people know out there listening where they can read your work and, and read more about you and where they can find you on Twitter. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at SimonGibbs26, um, and you can follow our coverage on the Vanderbilt Hustler website, where we also have a weekly newsletter, a weekly sports report email that I send out every week. Um, so just direct over to VanderbiltHustler.com. See a lot of coverage about not just Commodore sports, but, you know, potential return in the fall for Vanderbilt students, which is still an important topic of discussion, even for athletics fans. So hopefully we can get some people to go over there and, and read some of the some of my work and some of my past work. We will, Simon. You've been doing a tremendous job, and it's an honor to have you on. Have a great rest of your evening, and, and thanks for taking the time. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. That was Simon Gibbs. He is the sports editor at the Vanderbilt Hustler. He will graduate with a degree from Vanderbilt University on West End uh, next year. Can, you know, everything – Obviously, Corona is still somewhat <laughs> going on right now, but, uh, you know, he should be graduating yeah. on time. Getting over, getting overshadowed yeah, a little bit so, by some other things in the news right now. It's, it's falling <laughs> a little bit under the radar. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he was awesome. He, he, that was a great, uh, great interview uh, there with Simon. It, kind of the state of the union. Uh, you know, we, we've we've had a, either a player or a coach on. Uh, Will, it's been yeah. interesting to kind of get. Yeah, it was awesome to have a little bit, a little bit different of perspective. We we have it was what our most recent ones: Joe Toy, Rhett Wiseman, Warren Norman. So former players. Mm-hmm. Um, and then before that, we had we had some coaches on. So a little bit different perspective there, especially from someone that's yeah working in in Vanderbilt media, sports media, as well as a student on on that campus. Uh-huh. Yeah, and he's on the rise. He, uh, you know, he, he's he's got that ESPN internship lined up. We will probably be seeing him, you know, whether it's on on the website or even on TV soon. So again, stay tuned. There with Simon Gibbs, for for Will Byram, myself, Billy Derrick. You've been listening to episode thirty of the Door Report, presented by Alaka.